back on our chronology journey again after a few weeks off we had the privilege of a guest speaker at Open Baptist Church and we also had the national gathering called Canopy that's uh, from the Baptist churches across the nation gathering together in what would be our national assembly so we had that and it was great but it's good to get back into this the chronology of God's word of God's story the unfolding of God's purposes and plans for humanity and so we're going to get into that today we're going to look at Exodus chapters 19 through to 25 technically it could go on from there we could also be unpacking Leviticus again if we if we really felt the need to but but because time is so short we're just going to draw again out the fine details and paint the broad brush as it were quick recap then we're in a moment where the people are free the people of Israel are free. We know that there's been generations that have been enslaved and oppressed under the hand of the natural and spiritual forces. We touched on that a number of weeks ago, that what is going on in front of our eyes is not just all that's going on, but there, there is a, a supernatural a spiritual force that is going on behind the scenes for good and for bad. And, and so that's what's been happening. And now the people are free. They're walking towards their homeland as a free people. Beautiful thing that that is. And now we look into this shifting moment. This is what Exodus 19 and, and onwards is. It's another moment of, of shift. Now we all know we are products of our past and, and these people, this, this group of people, this multitude that's come out of ex, the Exodus out of Egypt, they are a product of their past. They're a product of what they've lived through and what they've seen. What have they lived through and what have they seen? Well, my goodness, if you've read Exodus, you know, at least once, you'll know the, the layers and the drama and the dynamics at play that these people have lived through and they have seen. Incredible. And now, as we say, this moment of shaping and refining, of defining what it means to be set apart, it's a moment that declares what can be. It's a moment that declares what can be for these people. The best analogy that I could think of uh, is as follows, and, and maybe you can relate to this in, in some form. Do you have a special treasure? Do you have something that is really significant to you, something precious to you? For example, when I think of this, I think of uh, of a friend of, the, of, of ours at Open Baptist Church, uh, of Ian McFarlane, who has his classic car. He has his, now I think it's an MG, I could be wrong, but this classic car, and this car is, in essence, is set apart from all the other cars on the driveway. But ultimately, it is still just lumps of metal, bits of leather, some rubber, some plastic, uh, all shaped, uh, and fashioned just like the rest of the cars in the drive but but there's something about it that has been shaped and fashioned for it to be distinct and to be different there's a level of value and worth that is conveyed to this car above the rest of the cars in the drive maybe you can relate to that 
in some other way. I mean, for me, I might think about guitars. There are certain guitars that, that yeah, ultimately it's just lumps of wood and 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 some metal for strings and and some wiring and and maybe a nice uh, paintwork and lacquer. But it's just lumps of, of wood. But there's something about some guitars that set them apart, make them distinct, set apart as a special treasure. So we're going to hold that idea as we unpack this portion of God's Word. We're going to look at Exodus 19, verses 1 to 9a, the first part of 9. We're going to look at 20, verses 1 to 21, and 25, verses 1 to 9. So deep breath, we're going to dive into God's Word this uh, this morning together, and we're going to let God's Word speak, and we're going to let it lead. Let's pray as we open it. Father, thank you for your Word. God, we pray you would speak to our hearts, challenge us by what we hear, what we read, we're conscious, God, that you you purpose these words to impact us, to, to touch our hearts and change our lives. So we just invite you to do that by the power of your Spirit now, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, Exodus 19, verses 1 to 9a. In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They travelled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. 20 verses 1 through to 21. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labour six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. 
For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbour. Do not covet your neighbour's house, do not covet your neighbour's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. All the people witness the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. 25 verses 1 through 2, 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to make to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, Spices for the anointing oil for the fragrant incense. And onyx, along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you. The pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. Now, there's so much more uh, in this. There's so much more that we could go into. There are so many fine details that we could settle on and unpack. But, but I'm going to leave that to you in your own time. There are so many great commentaries available. One recommendation I would always give is uh, Bob Utley, Dr. Bob Utley's freebiblecommentary.org. It's online and it's an excellent commentary that unpacks a lot of the details of what we read. We're going to paint a broad brush again as we move through this chronology together. To do that, let's go back again to this Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, this moment where God set apart a people for his own possession. And the moment where he handed over all the nations, the rest of the nations, to the worship of the gods who would ultimately encourage them to pursue their own desires rather than pursue gods. But what we have in this moment, this Deuteronomy moment that we touched on a few weeks ago, uh, where it lays out this idea of God setting apart a possession, a people for his own possession, uh, a possession of his own out of the nations. God sets in motion this people who will be his own. And that word possession could be repainted or re-described as his own special treasure. That is who they were. And we've we've seen this already in the Exodus, that God has gone to incredible lengths in the Exodus to demonstrate that this group are to be his 
special treasure, his own portion, his possession. So in this moment in Exodus 19, 20 and onwards, where do the people find themselves? I love this. They, they find themselves right back in the place where Moses had his encounter with the burning bush. Do you remember that moment? If we were to go back uh, in our, in our uh, Bibles to the start of Exodus, and we have this incredible dialogue with Moses uh, speaking to God and God speaking to Moses, Exodus chapter 3. We have this this invitation by God to come, to come carefully, of course, take your sandals off because you're on holy ground, but to come and to listen. And then this commissioning that happens in this moment. And Moses doubts the commissioning, doesn't he? He thinks, how could I possibly achieve what you're asking me to achieve? And what does God say? God says, listen, you will know that I am God. You will know that I am who I am when you return to this place with the people. And, and so here we are. Moses is back in that place where he stood before in front of the burning bush. He's now standing before the fire and the cloud of the mountain with the people who have been, who have been redeemed. God had said, go. And now many significant moments later, Moses is back along with that people. So that's where they are. What is God trying to convey in this moment? Well, he is trying to convey his might. He wants to demonstrate once again to the people that he is mighty. The thing is, when you're in the presence of God in this way, God by his nature is mighty and powerful. So maybe it would be inaccurate to say he wants to demonstrate his might. By, by being present, he is demonstrating his might. But he also wants to convey what it means to be his special treasure, what it means to be set apart from the rest of the world. This is where the analogy of, of a classic car or, or a guitar or whatever, that analogy fails slightly because this interaction between God and his special treasure isn't like an inanimate object that we might look to. Let's go back to that classic car picture. In God trying to convey what it means to be his special treasure and set apart, um, what God is not doing here is like we would with a classic car where we would, yeah, do the oil change in April and maybe go for a few weeks of journeying in the summer or maybe occasionally peer out the window and admire and show fleeting affection towards that that vehicle that is sitting in the drive. It's not like the, the guitar that I would take out of the case every so often and play and, and really marvel at how beautiful it is and how great it plays and how it sounds. And, and also that kind of the notion of all the guitarists that I've admired that have played that kind of guitar or the history of that particular instrument. It's not that kind of, of connection with a special treasure. This is not a fleeting action. This is a moment that where God is laying out what it means as God's special treasure to truly know him and be known by him. It is, it is intimate. It is personal. It has the, the invitation to eternal relationship, a relationship between a father and his children. It's different 
when we think about special treasure, when I asked you, what, do you have a special treasure? How many of you thought about something tangible that is uh, inanimate? Well, God's interaction here is not with an inanimate object. It is with his own children. And, and he wants to, as well, in this, he wants to, in front of all the nations who are going their own way, on their own path to destruction, he, he wants to tabernacle, to dwell with his portion. So whilst all the other nations are going their own way, whilst they're all submitting themselves to, to false worship, to, in essence, worship of, of false idols, false creations that are influenced in the background by supernatural entities, God wants to tabernacle to dwell with his portion and he wants to do it in all his power and all his might. It's an incredible moment. Why is this happening? Well, his longing, I think we would all agree, is that his longing is that his special treasure might come to know the nature and character of God, the God who made everything. In a sense, it's going back to the garden. It's going back to the origin where he made man in his own image. And in that moment, man became his special treasure, distinct from all creation. And so what's happening at this moment, at the foot of the mountain, among the people, is this declaration that we're going back to the origins here. We're going back to that dynamic of you being a significant voice, a significant treasure on the earth. And importantly, there's this longing that the whole world would see how God parents his special treasure. That's why he pulls one portion out of the whole world, because he wants to use them to demonstrate to the rest of the world how he will look after, parent his own portion. And that is that dynamic of Israel called to be a light unto the Gentiles. It is in essence saying this is what it means to be part of God's special treasure. Um, and there is that beckoning, that invitation that comes. We'll come to that in a minute. So that's the, the where, the what, the why. What about when? When is this being established? Well, of course, it's being established immediately in this moment. And the principle, the premise is it will be established forever if. And that's such a huge word in this. Let's unpack the, the if. Let's unpack this idea of it will be forever if by considering how this moment and all subsequent moments might play out. So in the nation of Israel, God's special treasure, his portion, his possession. There is the potential for immediate relationship and forever relationship, if. So let's look at the how. Well, Exodus 19 through to the end of the book, really, and then when we look at Leviticus as well, they reveal that to remain God's special treasure, the people must commit themselves to obedience and worship. And why do I say the word remain? Why do I say to remain God's special treasure? Yes, God did say in these words that 
If you carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. So yes, he is he is making it conditional. But why do I say remain God's special treasure and not become? Why do we not place an emphasis on the become? Because God has already chosen them out of the nations. Now, could it all unravel? Could they reject? Absolutely. But but God has chosen them out of all the nations. What what does that mean for for them? And what does it mean for us? Well, you see, God chose a portion from the time of Babylon. We've touched on that. And he invited, he beckoned through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, who became Israel. And then we see with Joseph and Joseph's brothers, we see the nation being established. And now that God's got the whole world's attention through the exodus from Egypt, here we have in, in chapter 19 and onwards, we have his invitation for them to remain. Now, why is that order significant for us to highlight? And what does it tell us about the character and nature of God? That God is, yeah, he's saying, listen, if you want to be this people, here's what you need to do. But how has he demonstrated to them already that they are different and distinct? How has he done that? Why is the order significant, remain rather than be? Well, when we hear, we must obey. You know, for many of us, sadly, in, in, in the world today, and perhaps even in the church, when you hear that word obedience, when you are challenged to obey, perhaps the, the shackles go up uh, and, and you maybe fight back against that. But who are they being invited to obey and worship? That's a huge, huge question. So important. Yes, they're being invited to obey the greatest spiritual being that there is, the one who created everything and upholds everything, the one who has power and authority to give life and take life away. But more importantly, they're being invited to obey and worship the God who has humbled their oppressors, led them through the Red Sea to freedom, fed them in the desert, and now who descends in power to where they are. That is who they're being invited to obey. He's inviting them. God, God isn't just dropping down out of heaven, out of nowhere and saying, do you want to follow me? No, he's saying, look at how I have, I have loved you, cared for you, ministered to you, served and supported your needs. And, and, and that's the God that they're being invited to obey and to worship. What is their response? 19 verse 8. All the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. Their response is to say, I am going to follow. We are going to follow you, God. Now, such is the power and might of God's presence that the people are terrified I think this is a brilliant little portion of God's word. 20 verse 19. When, when uh, the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain surrounded by smoke, when they saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. 
such is the power and might of God's presence in this moment, that they're terrified. And so they haven't quite grasped what it is to be God's special treasure, to remain, to remain in that space. And, and they haven't grasped that if they remain in right standing with God, that the power and the might that is on display will be for them, not against them. But they panic and Moses remains, in essence, the mediator between them and God. Moses's role in this moment is, is so significant and it points to what is to come. Moses in this moment is called to speak the way, speak the truth and speak the life. Maybe that phrase rings a bell with us today. Moses' role is to speak the way, the truth and the life to the people. Now Moses in himself is not the way, the truth and the life, but he's giving a glimpse of that by speaking the way, the truth and the life. The Ten Commandments that follow. The, the call to remain God's special treasured people. The people of his possession. It's like simply, here is the way, walk in it. And in this way, as you worship, you will find the truth and come to know the one who is absolute truth. And what comes from walking in the way and knowing the God of truth? What comes from that? Well, life. Life now and everlasting. So Moses, as the mediator, that, that dynamic of pointing and speaking towards the way, the truth and the life, in essence, as we know and we understand today, is him, yes, in the moment, ministering to the people, but also pointing ahead to what is to come. Isn't that beautiful? Now, where do we fit into all of this? Well, this is the main thrust we can take from this today, that if you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We know that so well. But what does it actually mean? Well, it means many things, but in part, it means that you, if you're in Christ, are now God's special treasure. You are part of his portion out of the earth. Romans 5 paints that picture. We've touched on this a number of times recently, that everyone is born into Adam. And that means they're all born separated from God, living the way that isn't based on absolute truth and without access to God's definition of life. But, but, but it doesn't end there because the God of grace is involved in this. So what, what can come? Well, you can be lifted out of that place of being in Adam, separated from God, not living in the, in the place of absolute truth and life. So if you're in Christ, you have been lifted out of that to become part of God's special treasure. What does it mean to you to be part of God's special treasure? We know these words, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Again, there's that word if. The same dynamic that was spoken of in Exodus 19, we find throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, which was the focus of canopy over our last weekend. That Baptist assembly was being 
connected to the vine, remaining connected. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. What happens? Well, blessing is conveyed in the invitation to come and to stay. And blessing isn't found because we've earned it, but because we've seen who God is through Jesus. Just like the the people of, of Israel have seen God's mighty acts, his mighty power, his determination to lift them out of oppression, and then his willingness to come and to be with them and to tabernacle with them. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, something tangible happens as you become the the special treasure, the portion of God. Now, can we walk away? Absolutely. Could the people at Mount Sinai, who could they have said no and walked back to Egypt? Well, we know they contemplated that a few times, didn't they? Of course they could have turned around and walked back to Egypt. But the thing is, and this is what we have to remember, is when you see things for how they truly are, when you come face to face with the reality of God in Jesus Christ, every other way is insufficient. No other way leads to the life that we long for and that we were ultimately created for. Now, can we fall short of the obedience to his commands? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, can we fall short of that? Absolutely. In fact, even in our privileged place of being part of God's special treasure, we all do fall short. That's where we see the coming death of Christ revealed in the tabernacle of God. The shedding of the uh, blood of an animal through sacrifice, all purposed to point towards the the coming Christ. And, And in that moment, for the people of Israel, that process with the tabernacle and with the shedding of blood speaks to them of when they fall short, they can be atoned for because they are living in obedience and worship to the God of heaven. It points forward, of course, to the coming Christ who will ultimately atone for all who have said yes to the invitation to be God's special treasure, part of his possession. So simply to close, it's an encouragement for all of us to remain in this beautiful place. John 15, to remain in the vine. Let us live differently in the knowledge that to be holy, to be set apart, is to lay our lives down for him and for each other. It's an invitation to enter into covenant and that therefore we respect and honour and value our covenant partners all of our days. That we we respect and honour our covenant partner in God through Christ and we respect and value our brothers and sisters because they are part of the covenanted people. We love God and we love our neighbour. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to open your word and, and God, we're so conscious that there is so much more we could say, so much more we could reflect on, but we are so grateful, God, that that this moment speaks a a, a beauty to us. It speaks of your character, your nature, your longing to come and dwell with your people, but also reminds us of our origin, of our purpose, of our calling, and the fact that you are with us every step of the way. Father, I pray that you would help 
us to remember what it means to remain in you as your, your possession, your people, your special treasure. May it convey value to us, yes, but also may it convey purpose to us in the days ahead. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you.